Okay, uh, so welcome everybody. Uh, welcome to our retained search trade secrets uh, webinar with Louise Archer. Um, I'll allow Louise to introduce herself in a minute, but uh, just to, to give you some sort of introduction, um, members only for those that have been on here before, but so on uh, now, some of you would have overheard a minute ago, um, primarily online events at the moment, or exclusively online events, but we're, we're based off an online events business. And we, um, we create experiences for recruitment agency leaders, owners, mem uh, founders, and, uh, and CEOs. <clears throat> um, we try as far as we can. We have done over the, um, so the, the, the COVID webinar series to get events that are timely, not just um, you know, relevant in their content, but well-timed in the context of what we're all going through. And we felt, when Louise and I spoke, it was a little while ago now, wasn't it, that now would be the right time to put on something which was fundamentally around, in many instances, people changing their organisation, the way that their business and the recruitment process works. And um, that can come down to pricing, can come down to many different things. But I've held a long, um, a thought for a long time now that the contingency model, whilst it has its place, is broken as a process if you're looking to build a sustainable, um, robust business. And I think having been a recruiter uh, many years ago, um, I never did retain. It was something I always wanted to do. It's, for me, it was about getting on PSLs. And for me, that was the sort of the, the holy grail, if you like. And, and really, even those, I think, are, are defunct as a, as a proposition. So retained, project work. Louise, I'm sure you've got many different other permutations and connotations for what is essentially um, more guaranteed work. Different ways of payment, which I'm sure Louise will go into. But really, this session is to help Anybody is currently doing retained business, be, be better at it. Maybe there's some mindset, psychological advantages that you can achieve from today. And um, perhaps you've never done retained. Uh, perhaps it's all completely new to you, but you know that it's something that your business, you and your colleagues need to get involved with. Either of those, perfect. That's why we're here. Um, we've got an hour. Uh, Louise's presentation is going to work around about half an hour. If across the course of the session you have any questions, um, please just put those in the chat. I've put, I'll field those, but the likelihood is that the questions will come really at the end of it. Um, and then we've got another half an hour or so to, to field those. I will unmute and get people on answering. So um, without further ado then, guys, um, enjoy, and I'll hand you over to, to, uh, to Louise. Thank you, Simon. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to be here, and it's really nice to have the opportunity to um, meet you all really. Um, so I hope that what, what I'm going to share today is helpful or some of it is. Um, I've got some things I want to share with you so I'll just make sure that everyone can see my screen. Um, can you see that Simon? Absolutely, yep, all good. Yep. Okay, if anybody cool. can't see that by the way just uh, put it in the chat but I'm sure that will be fine. So um, I guess I'm here today following the chat with Simon to share um, as much of my experience as I can around retained search. And what I really want to do for the, for the next kind of 30 minutes is lift the lid on um, how I've seen and how I've helped businesses to build a really successful retained search service line. Um, and just kind of for, for, for note, um, while I think there are benefits of working with clients on a retained basis, uh, for contract recruitment services, I'm generally referring to permanent recruitment throughout. Okay, so I guess um, to start with, really, the first thing that I wanted to bring up was, you know, why retain in the first place? You pointed out some of the benefits there, Simon, but I have, I have found that most companies with a permanent recruitment service, like you say, would like to be operating on a retained basis. Um, sometimes it's to provide forecastable revenue for investment, um, but it has got lots of other benefits. There's a huge improvement in productivity, which um, really helps with consultants' motivation, commission, and therefore retention. But importantly, um, the education and the upskilling of consultants, it really helps them um, form really deep and much more meaningful relationships with their clients. And the clients see a benefit as well, you know? Um, they, their service levels improve dramatically and at the same time, the time and the, and the money that they need to spend on recruitment reduces. Even from a candidate perspective, they really benefit from a, a cleaner, um, more enjoyable journey, um, a, a much, much cleaner pr process. And so um, 
before I kind of carry on, I just wanted to give you a little bit of background about me. Um, I've been in the business for too long, um, uh, probably 20 years now. Uh, I know I don't look that old, <laughs> but yeah, I am. Um, I've worked in-house, um, I've worked agency, I've um, staffed teams all over the world, um, Jakarta and Indonesia, I've, I've worked in built teams in Stavanger in Norway and Canada in the, U in the, U in the US. Um, and um, I've worked with executive research firms and traditional classic executive search firms, carrying out mapping, multi-million pound mapping and pipelining programs for companies like Microsoft and, and GlaxoSmithKline. And um, in recent years, I developed the retained search service for one of the world's biggest recruitment firms um, who now turn over about $8 million globally using the same techniques. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is I understand the struggles that, you know, businesses face operating on a contingent basis. We were talking about it just before, Simon. I know how frustrating it is, you know, to have unpredictable forecasts or fees that fall out. And I know for firsthand being a contingent recruiter myself, how frustrating it is to feel used by clients and how hard it is to scale a business um, when, when the contingent model is, is so un unpredictable. So I guess when I discovered that there was a simple step-by-step -step way to teach contingent recruiters and contingent businesses how to sell and deliver retained search, I kind of made it my mission and I haven't really stopped since. And what I've experienced is that it doesn't matter what market you're operating in, whether it's finance, whether it's pharma, engineering, um, or straightforward um, operations, um, HR and, um, and legal, uh, it could be 40k, it could be 400k, it doesn't matter what level. Um, one of the teams that I trained went from no re retained revenue at all to half a million in five months. And another immediately after the training won their first retained assignment of a $400,000 base salary higher, a fee of just over £90,000. There's companies I've worked with that have never done retained at all and didn't know whether it would work in their market. And what I'm saying is, you know, it, it does, you know, it really does and it, and it can. And once you've developed um, the ability to be able to sell retained solutions, you can then go on and, and sell strategic solutions like talent mapping and talent pipelining and insight studies. There's a whole other, other realm and other world beyond that. And so I guess one of the first questions then is, um, I ask businesses is why, why haven't you already done it? You know, most businesses want to operate on a retained basis. They've provided some training, like we said before, Simon, on how to sell retainers. And they've got some experience of winning projects. They've got some brilliant consultants, really capable consultants, often that are quite demoralized and demotivated sometimes by the contingent model. Um, but they still haven't managed to build that, you know, that consistent uh, retained search service line. And my experience, the reason for this is that there's a big barrier. And we talked about this, Simon, you know, a lot of it is mindset, but I've found that um, a lack of experience and a lack of knowledge um, basically generates a lack of confidence and it causes negative and mentality and perception often because most recruiters that I meet have either won a retainer and then struggled to deliver it, or they know somebody that's won a retainer and struggled to deliver it or they've won a retainer by fluke and then delivered it contingently and not really known how they've managed to do that. Or they think that it's for senior or executive positions, or they just don't really know what the difference is. And the thing is, it's really difficult, as we know, for salespeople to be able to clearly articulate something and be able to sell something if they don't absolutely have the conviction and the knowledge of what that thing is and why and how it's going to benefit the client. And so when I ask people, what is retained search? I get all sorts of different answers. Um, it could be money up front, or I'm gonna commit all my time to, to working on it, or I'm gonna, all of the team are gonna work on this. Um, and really, in order for us to be able to sell it well to our clients, we really need to be able to articulate very, very clearly what that is. And that's why I always start with just looking for a moment at the contingent model. And like you said before, Simon, about the contingent model being, is it broken? Um, I think it's really, it's the best way of helping recruiters to understand why a retained solution is a better solution and therefore being able to articulate it to clients is help them see what the problems are with the contingent model. And for that, I use these analogies. 
uh, the grading system, the iceberg, and the house for sale. So basically, every contingent recruiter works between five, 10, 15 jobs at any one time. Um, and any recruiter working on a contingent, no win, no win, no fee basis, has got to balance the risk of those jobs and is grading them um, in some way, shape or form. So they basically have to, a, a fantastic job with a great client, brilliant brand, um, maybe exclusive, really good fee, they know they can fill, would be an A. And anything that starts to get a bit harder, maybe it's more niche, maybe it's more difficult, maybe it's a client that doesn't come back to them or it's a, um, an unknown brand, it starts to go down the list of priorities. And then if there's competition involved, it tends to move even further down the list because it's higher risk to spend time on, basically, and less likely to result in a fee. And usually without realizing this, clients make the mistake of thinking that by sharing it out between multiple agencies, what they're doing is duplicating the effort that they get, when in actual fact, they're diluting the effort that they get from each and every recruiter. And then when you realize that 30% of the any given talent pool is active, um, in much the same way that 30% of the iceberg is above the water, this 30% of candidates are, are candidates who will reply to a LinkedIn message or, or respond to an advert or reply to an email. On a contingent basis with limited time to risk, every recruiter is typically engaging with that visible 30 or 40% of talent. The majority of the candidates in any given talent pool are not active. They won't reply to an email or an initial LinkedIn message. And unfortunately, therefore, in a contingent process, 60 or 70% of the talent pool goes unspoken to because they don't respond to initial approaches. Unfortunately, it's typically that same 30 or 40% that are getting approached. And then you imagine what impact that has. Imagine driving past a house with multiple for sale signs outside. What perception does that give of the house? And that's exactly what happens when you've got two or three agencies working on the same assignment. And then you imagine, well, you consider that contingent recruiters have got to work fast, really fast, because as soon as they come across a candidate that they think looks right, it's a bit interested, they've got to get their CV over straight away before anyone else does. And otherwise the competition is going to get there first and they're going to get the fee. And so how much time does that allow the contingent recruiter to qualify and assess the candidate? How much time is there to make sure the candidate actually wants that job and has actually considered it properly? Like none, there's no time for that. And so when you consider all those things, it makes you realize it's no wonder that the contingent process falls down. And in fact, um, I recently Googled it. Um, the definition of contingent means by chance. So that's kind of where um, I like to help people realize what retained search really is. Um, it's financial commitment from the client, which allows us to apply a robust process mitigating against all of the things that could go wrong meaning that we can get the nearest damn it the best possible a, a guaranteed result and not, not not just any result but the best possible result um, available to us and we can get you know as near as damn as at 100 fill rate there's no reason why we wouldn't fill that position on that basis if we allowed the time to overcome all of the challenges that we're likely to face and so then um, I help businesses to understand in their market what the opportunities are specifically to them and in what situations to to position and sell a retained search assignment all professional services are solutions solutions that clients buy to solve their problems so you just find out what the problems are and position the solution accordingly and the easiest place, you know, I always say to um, uh, consultants that I'm working with, the easiest place to find these challenges, to find clients that are facing these challenges is often right in front of you. And one of the things that I wanted to cover today was um, the clients, you know, which clients to target. And it's basically cli any client that is facing challenges around um, challenging hires, niche skill sets, um, challenging locations, senior critical positions, you know, where it's absolutely imperative they get not just um, the right technical skill set, but the right behavioral skill set and the right culture fit as well. Whether there's, you know, more than one hire to make, it might be that one hire is relatively easy, but making two, three or four is actually really quite, quite challenging. 
or it's an unknown market where they just don't know what that talent landscape looks like. And so once a consultant has found the opportunity um, to position a retained solution with an existing client or something that's in the periphery and won that and delivered it really well, it gives them the confidence to go on and win more. Um, and that's the first step in building, you know, a really good, successful, retained solution is winning that first project and then putting a process in place that's going to mean that we can consistently win them. But just to talk for a moment then about um, the type, the, bis, um, the stakeholders within those clients that actually buy it. Because what I've found with working with contingent agencies is often they're working, um, the consultants are working at an operational level and they're working further down with stakeholders further down in the organization. Um, I always want to my sort of aim and ambition with clients is to elevate and escalate that relationship from a supplier status um, really to a long term partner, a trusted advisor. And I always think of that as a staircase. Um, and it's usually the top players of an organization that are more concerned um, and more interested in building those long term relationships because they're looking ahead and they're more strategic in their in their view. So the operational um, contacts that we've got are um, not always the right buyers for a retained solution because they're concerned with the now and the here and now and they're not necessarily concerned with solving the problems that the here and now are generating um, and therefore targeting clients or stakeholders further up in the organization um, is it makes much more sense it's it's a strategic solution um, sold to people that are concerned with the longer term and as some people say um, you know how do you bypass or how do you deal with a, a client where you've already got existing relationships further down and I always give people the confidence to go to new stakeholders and to go further up because this is a different solution. It's a different solution solving different challenges and um, is, is, sold to, is sold to different people. So you can still carry on having a transactional relationship, an operational relationship if you want to. Um, it's providing additional solutions that help them with their strategic talent acquisition. And so um, what did I want to cover next? Oh yeah. I guess at the same time, like I, you know, I do think that there, is, there are instances where it isn't the right solution to sell. Um, and I think it's important that I cover those as well. I've found that if it's an easy to fill straightforward hire, it's not always necessary to apply a structured. I mean, what sometimes happens is you, you work with a client on a retained basis and they just end up giving you everything on a retained basis because they like the way that you're working so much and you do end up getting the easier ones as well. But for picking up the first few projects, it's unlikely that a client's going to commission a retainer if um, it's quite straightforward. It's sort of like the sledgehammer, you know, walnut analogy. It's, it's not necessary. But equally, if it's impossible to fill. Um, my kind of caveat to that is that I do, in a way, I do think that all positions are fillable. Uh, if the need from the client is there and the willingness to flex the parameters and eventually find a solution together, which is, is what the retained search process is largely about. Um, I think any, any position is, is possible. But if the client is unpleasant to deal with or has expectations that are impossible to manage or they won't commit to the full process, then I always advise consultants to say no and walk away in that instance. And then lastly, while I now only work on a, on a retained basis and I still practice myself, um, and I would never work without financial commitment. And I now love recruitment as a result um, when I'd really fallen out of love with it. Um, there are some consultants that prefer to work on a contingent basis and they don't want to commit and they don't like to be tied to a client. And if the going gets tough, they want to bail out basically. Um, the thing is with retained search, if some assignments are going to be easy and some are going to be tougher and you've got to take the rough with the smooth and be committed to, to reaching a, a solution or a result regardless really. The consultants that really care about what they're doing and care about the service that they're providing um, do really, really well with it. Um, they tend to be incredibly successful. It, it lends itself to that kind of approach. Um, I do find though, and somebody, well, I get this question quite a lot, that 
you know, could you teach somebody that's had no experience in recruitment at all and almost bring them up in the retained way? And I, and you can, um, but it's best to bring them in a research capacity first and learn the candidate side before they start um, positioning it to clients, especially when um, you're in a contingent marketplace at the moment. It's harder to explain, but basically, because if you're a contingent agency, predominantly offering contingent services at the moment, the sell that you, um, the, what you're selling against is the contingent model. If as a recruiter, you don't know what that contingent model is, and you've never felt the pain of it yourself, it's really difficult to sell against it. And that's what I find with consultants that have less than a year's experience. Once they've had a year's experience of contingent recruitment, it's much easier to help them position a retainer against a contingent offering. Does that make sense, Simon? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay. So I've got your little key in there. <laughs> um, so, um, what 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 i find really effective is to put a sales process in for search um you know in, in many respects it's the same that the businesses have been doing for years putting a sales process in for contingent but it differs slightly so i was just going to share some of the differences really um what i do is um start with the, the identification of the client and the stakeholder in order to find their challenges um that are that could be challenging hires, senior, critical, confidential, niche, unknown locations, multiple hires, to look for those challenges. But then with the, um, when we're approaching them, instead of with the objective to get a position on or get a job on for us to work, it's actually to secure some FaceTime. And in these times, it's Zoom, it's not face-to-face, it's not -face, but eventually we'll get back to that again, I hope. Um, but Zoom works perfectly well. So with the intention of, of just securing that, that FaceTime and then during that FaceTime to really do um, a needs analysis on the client and find out what their challenges are. It's a bit like being at the doctor's. You know, your doctor would never recommend a treatment for you until he'd really understood what the situation is. So before we start recommending a solution, um, it's really much more effective to uncover the challenges. It's classic spin selling, I guess, to identify what exactly what that need is. But what I teach people to do is really get to the bottom of the challenges and really, um, you know, so what methods have you been have you been using so far? How have they been going? And what kind of service do you get from your suppliers? And how do you feel about that? Even if it's your own business that's been supplying it, because there's a reason to say, actually, I'd like to take a different approach with you, or I'd like to work in a different way because I don't feel the service that we're providing is um, is good enough or is, the, is, is as good as it can be. Let me show you a different approach. And it's a really good way of being able to introduce a new way of working. So consulting with them first and then after that, being able to turn it around and have the opportunity to then um, walk them through who we are and what we do and the services that we offer in order to be able to recommend the solution. And so I mean, I, I use a, a model that I've seen used by the big four search firms um, and uh, the smaller search firms that I've worked with and the executive research firms, which is actually to walk through a deck, a deck of slides with um, a really good narrative, really fast, really pacey. This is who we are. This is what we do. These are the services that we offer. And in this case, this is what I recommend. And what I wanted to do next was just kind of share with you um, a way of positioning um, retained as a solution um, against or alongside um, the other services that you might offer. So, for example, um, and I always teach people to, to lead with the with the circumstance in this case rather than the solution. So, for permanent hiring, for example, we support our clients in three different ways. Um, for, for everyday, easy to fill, straightforward hires, we offer a contingent recruitment service. You know, that, you'll know that already, or, that, or that's, that's the no win, no fee. Um, we've already been working with you like this, or that's typically how we've, we've worked with you in the past. However, when things are, it's a critical hire, a senior position, or more challenging, or it's a niche, um, or there are multiple hires to make, um, we adopt a retained search methodology, and that's our headhunting service. And then there might be a third service. Sometimes it's a subscription and sometimes it's um, an RPO. So for, for some clients, we work as an extension of your talent acquisition team. Um, and that's our, our recruitment process outsourcing service. It's nice to have three, um, but it can equally just be the contingent or retained or sometimes it's contingent retained and contract. And then to go on to be able to say, you know, in many cases, contingent recruitment works. 
But when things are more critical or more complex or more challenging or they, a, a more robust and a more rigorous um, methodology is required, basically some financial commitment from you enables me to apply a robust search process and importantly commit to working with you until the position is filled. And then I teach um, consultants to reinforce that. It's really good to reinforce that with evidence of a nice case study. This is what we've done recently. This is how it worked. This is the problem we solved. Um, using that STAR method, that situation, um, this is what we did and this was the outcome, situation, task, action and result. And then um, close it nicely, really simply with, so I'd really like to show you how effective this way of working is, you know, can we pilot it? Um, can we try it? Can I show you on this assignment? No? So it's quite um, a nice way of walking an existing client through how we can work in a different way and why we'd like to do that. And then um, it's very much about reinforcing that with your literature and with your collateral to, you know, produce a nicely well laid out and a nicely laid out proposal that just reinforces everything that you've said. And of course, explains the commercials, um, which incidentally, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in being flexible on. Um, a lot of the bigger search firms aren't, and it's often a nice way of, um, you know, winning business against them, not by being cheaper necessarily, but just be maybe being flexible on the milestones and having say a third on commencement and two thirds on completion, for example, that a, a, you know, a, 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 a Shrek firm just wouldn't do, and they wouldn't flex in that way. And it's nice to be able to do that, particularly to win the first few projects and give the clients the assurance that you're happy to put some skin in the game as well and have the majority of, of the fee on, completion um, and then of course the delivery which is just it's so important like I can't stress the importance of this enough you know I, I used to do what one one-off sessions with with clients on on selling retainers and I've stopped doing that now because you think it's the difficult bit is selling it but it's not the difficult bit is delivering and delivering consistently and in actual fact um, it, it, you know, it, it's so important in the sales. The delivery is so important in the sales because if you, if you, if you offer hands-on help and support and make sure every project is absolutely smashed out the park, people feel empowered about the service and they think, wow, as a consultant, I love the way I delivered that. And they go to their next client and say, listen, this is the way we need to do it. And it, it's, it becomes really genuine. If you don't support the delivery and the delivery falls over and you don't win, you don't fill the projects that you've won, the whole thing falls flat on its face and you might as well not have bothered to help people sell it because nobody will sell another one because they don't believe in it. Do you see what I mean? Does that make sense, Simon? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I guess what, what, what's really then important is um, that that's how we then go on and develop the accounts by really smashing each project out of the park and then going back to identify the next stakeholders and follow that sales process again. Flexing the structure to support growth, you know, does that, has that person won two projects? Can we give them a resource to help them go out and win more? Um, being really proactive with the account development and then starting to think about offering some of the other strategic services like would a mapping piece be useful here for this client or would a pipelining piece actually be better in the short term whilst they decide what they're going to do with that succession plan or that location? Um, or actually, would a piece of, of, of intelligence help them make a decision on what to do before they actually go ahead and make a hire? Um, and I guess I'm going to stop talking soon. Um, I was just going to share with you some, some work that, that we've done recently. Um, you know, sometimes results happen really quickly and sometimes it takes a bit of time. Um, but most importantly, um, many of the consultants that make a transition to retain, they just tell me that they were really disillusioned with contingent recruitment and they'd sort of I guess fallen out of love with it and started to stagnate really in their positions and once they'd learned how to transition their clients to retain they talk about how much they love it again and how refreshing it is to work in partnership and they've gone on to be more successful and happier in their work than you know they ever have been before so yeah thank you for watching um, and I am happy to answer any questions and I would love you if you want to, to, to book a call with me and talk about your business and what you'd like to achieve and whether I can help you personally. Um, but I'm sticking around here for the next half an hour or so to answer any questions that anybody has. 
Okay, great. Um, thank you, Louise. And uh, that, that was a fantastic little snapshot as to, and, and I think when we were discussing earlier, some people would have overheard the conversation around, um, around mindset. I think a large part of what you just delivered there should have, uh, have triggered some, you know, some questions and also, you know, reevaluate what it is possibly they're looking uh, at in their own business right now. So I have some questions which I'll come back to because it's more important that the, um, the, the guys that listen have got um, sort of get their say. So we've had some come through, so you can uh, you can presumably look at these. Um, let's start with the top. So Charlie Green, thank you, Charlie. Um, if at any point you want to come on and just talk about this, obviously just let me know and I'll just um, I'll unmute you. But this is a question we can answer um, sort of straight off the bat, really. Um, thanks for your presentation, Louise. Uh, what is your position on cancellation fees? Um, I like having a cancellation fee, personally. Um, I, I believe that it's the right thing to do. Um, I, the amount, as long as it's over 10%, 20% of the fee, I think it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be over a certain amount because otherwise um, they don't care enough not to cancel it. Put it in there. I mean, is the do you think that's what his question is? Should you have have one or not? I definitely think you you should. Um. Yeah, well, should we? Um, do you want to ask him? Yeah. <laughs> Where are you, Charlie? Um. Bear with me. I'll uh, let's get him on. Charlie, you you happy to come on? I take it. There he is. Right. Allow to talk. There you go, Charlie. Sorry to put you on the spot, but hopefully asking the question directly will help out a bit further. Hi, hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Louise, thank you very much um, for uh, a really insightful presentation. A lot of it resonated with our um, our approach here. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was a bit of a loaded question. We we do use a, a cancellation policy. Um, we actually find that. Uh, thankfully, we don't have to use it very often. Uh, yeah. But obviously, in the in the current climate where we're looking at new appointments and businesses going through new structures change is inevitable and occasionally opportunities are placed on hold um and so in the in, in the rare occasions we have enforced it um uh, and thankfully actually clients have, have been respectful of that and recognize the value and the, and the detail of the search but equally there are other clients that, that that do um you know push back quite considerably on those types of policies even if they initially agreed to them at the, at the first instance so it's just keen to get your take on mm. the clients that you've worked with and sort of understanding you know you've sort of talked nicely through you know when and when not to sell a retainer but equally understanding sort of the provisions around cancellation policies yeah yeah um i agree with you i mean i i, I can't actually remember having ever enforced it um i think it should be in there to deter a client from basically instructing you if their intention is not to go ahead i think it's more of a deterrent of um somebody just fishing for for talent in which case you know a map would be would be sufficient or, or a talent map or a pipeline would be better than actually thinking that you're actually you, you're actually going to make you know a full a full fee um and i think what i have done a couple of times though is is reduced the next project um in lieu of charging them a cancellation fee um obviously enticing them to to give us the next project and to maintain the relationship with the client which you know nobody you, you don't really want to destroy that in any in any way if you can help it thank you that's that's really helpful thanks charlie nice one. thanks charlie and um, a question here from uh, from julia I, I can bring one potentially but I, I had it here anyway i think one of the biggest conjectures that, uh, that are um that will face many uh louise is how you get the fee in the first place right and i mean the upfront fee Right, so particularly if you're used to, you know, you've got a client and they're just used to it, they, you know, what, what's not to like about a no win, no fee? So I know, I realise there's loads of different permutations of this, but if you're talking about a market where nobody else does this, for example, um, and I'm sure there are where, you know, um, you would be the exception to the rule. Mm. What's, what's the fundamental element of, of, of convincing somebody to pay a fee before you've done any work when that just generally isn't what they're used to? Hmm. And I guess, um, 
I think it's you've got to be pragmatic about it really at the end of the day um you know like um i said said before about solutions you know professional services are solutions to problems and if there aren't any problems then they're unlikely to to pay you to solve them um and so that's why i think it's really important to get to the bottom of the client's situation before you recommend it as a, as a solution so if for example you know in the needs analysis you're uncovering that the client is actually delighted with the service that they're receiving on a contingent basis they have no problems at all they get exactly who they want exactly when they want it and they love the way that it all works then it's going to be really difficult to convince them that they need to change the way that they're working nine times out of ten i mean i don't know of any client that i've sat in front of and asked those questions and they've said they 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 love the recruitment process and they love dealing with external agencies and that they get exactly what they want because nine you know most of the time clients are either pissed off with recruiters they're frustrated with the lack of quality or quantity or the service or they hate being bombarded with cold calls from agencies or they don't get what they want when they want it and actually the whole thing's a bit of a pain in the ass and so that's when you can i tend to get people to on you know on unpick that scab and make it bleed almost before you can then say okay well there's a different way of working we don't it doesn't have to be like this um let me show you let me demonstrate it on on this one project um does that does that help does that answer your question is that what yeah you're i think um yeah in a way it does i think it's um and this probably comes down to uh, an actual specific section on it like subjection handling really isn't it it's like anything if you're if you used to work your way and it works, then why would you change it? I mean that yeah. is fundamentally yeah. wrong, right? But like you just said, most people, if you ask them as a hiring manager, would say, I don't really like this process because you know, whatever the reason that might be. But I think for me the key trigger is that deep, um, meaningful relationship. I think you is that is the way that you know these retain assignments. There's so many more communication touch points, aren't there, when you're doing it this way than there are from a contingency process i suppose though um it must there is there a way that these two working in tandem can you have contingency and retain working side by side i think so yeah simon i really do i do think um i mean some clients want to transition transition completely and they don't what they want to leave contingent recruitment behind um and that's fine too but i do think the way that um, some, especially some markets in the legal market, for example, um, private practice specifically, um, no, not one, but many others as well, are so candidate driven, and clients will um, will accept spec CVs and they will buy it on spec CVs. And um, business development like that can be a good way of opening doors and opening opportunities, which eventually you can then go on to uncover an opportunity for a retained solution. Actually, that that probably we're not actually probably going to be able to fill that by specking candidates in we probably will need to actually carry out a headhunt to actually to, to solve that that or to fill that that position um and i do think what, what also happens with search is you uncover candidates that you know therefore are potentially open to a move that you wouldn't have come across before that you can then work with and so it's nice to have the ability to be able to work on a contingent basis um alongside you know working on retained assignments but it's just about knowing you know when is the right time is it necessary is it necessary to carry out a search because if as a consultant you feel actually if i had some financial commitment from that client i can absolutely apply myself and i can do this 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 and this and this will mean that i know i can be successful on that project then that's the opportunity to sell a retainer if actually you don't want to commit to it or it's relatively easy and actually you could probably just send some cvs and fill it then it's good to have that as an option too Quite like the way that you had the three different propositions, and that's so I don't know if like it's a deliberate power of three, which um, you know mm -hmm. most psychologists work on. But um, and, and I, of course, depending on the size of your organisation, that RPO model, one of those different features around it, but whether or not that works. But having options is also um, valuable. And I think if ever there's a time for a recruitment agency to go back to their clients and prospects with a brand new solution or product offering, it's now. Yeah. Isn't it? Because that's what Absolutely. we've been working on, right? We've been working on that for the last four months, Mr. Klein um, and Mrs. Prospect. That's what we've been doing, um, and here it is. Um, <clears throat> so that's got to be your, your your routine at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I think. Um, well, I've, I've, we had this in in our Q and A that all our members get this morning, saying, you know, is it harder now? Is it harder now to sell a retainer than it was before? And actually, I don't agree. You know, I'm finding people that are people are finding it easier because 
um, a we, we've we've had to change we've had to adapt and we're having to adapt our methodologies in order to mean that we can still be here to supply you and to, to provide services to you um, and this is this is the way that we operate now in this case this is what we do in this case this is what we do in this case this is what we do but particularly now where yes there are more candidates coming onto the market but the usually for these these positions these key positions or the you know the more challenging hires or the critical hires the people that we actually want aren't the people that are being cut loose and the people that we actually want that aren't being cut loose are actually being held on tighter than ever before and they're even more nervous of making a move than ever before because they're just thinking well i'll just sit tight until this is over and then i might look and so it's going to take even more convincing and even more assurance to to be able to prize those people away and to do that, of course, we've got to invest time and energy and we can't do that at risk. Uh, yeah, and, uh, absolutely right. And, and I suppose pricing um, and fee structures are going to come into, into play with this as well, aren't they? So you, you touched on sort of, you know, the, the, what's the traditional third, third, third. I think it's what most mm -hmm. people tend to suggest is a retained pro process. So now, though, you're asking people who might have an, uh, an obvious, chat, um, you know, sort of rebuff to your to your proposition that we don't have any cash, we're not paying it until it's done, you know, where's the certainty? What kind of, um, outside of that third, third, third pricing model, I think you touched on a sort of a third and then two thirds at the back end mm. of it, you've got the, the gumption. How would you suggest people look at these um, fees or different variants that you've seen that have worked? I mean, I'm not trying to get out of it and I will give you some examples, but I think largely if you're happy, if you're happy with a commercial arrangement, I think it should be as flexible as you're willing to make it. What I would say around that though is the dangers are not having enough at the front end so that it doesn't matter. The client isn't actually invested enough in it to want to carry it through. So I always think that a minimum of 30% on, on commencement of projects means that the client is serious about um, commissioning the search and therefore isn't just going to, you know, disappear or walk away from it part way through, which is the last thing you want. Because let's face it, what we're trying not to, we're not trying to cut our fees by two thirds, right? And sometimes you need to actually say that to a client to explain, I'm not after your deposit. I'm not after, I'm not here for the retainer. I'm not interested in cutting my fees by two thirds. I know that if we have that financial commitment from you, we will secure the full fee. And that's why I'm here. And I think sometimes explaining that helps them um, feel more reassured. Um, but it, you know, you could, you could be, you know, you, you could certainly be flexible on um, the percentages. Some people make a retainer more, more um, attractive than a, than working contingently financially because it's that they feel it's, you know, it's actually better for them or certainly the same cost. It doesn't cost any more, um, but we're willing to commit to you or working with you until the position is filled and that. That, that, that cost is still going to be the same. We're just spreading. Some clients like the fact that the cost is actually spread um, and they're not having to pay for it all in one go. Uh, and what else have I seen? I mean, worst case, um, some clients are very, very nervous, particularly in markets where it isn't common, you know, and, and retained is, is a completely new model for them. And they just, they don't really understand and they feel really nervous about, you know, committing that, making that financial commitment. Um, and I think if, if a client is genuinely really interested in trying a new way of working and they are frustrated with the contingent model and you can see that if you just had the opportunity to work with them in that way, it, it would change significantly the relationship. What you could do is say, well, why don't we carry out this first project um, for the first two weeks on a reimbursable basis? If after the second week, you're not happy with what we're doing, we'll stop the search and we'll reimburse the retainer. And if what you do when you deliver it is, is, is show your workings and you're transparent about what you're doing and you can demonstrate that we're clearly going to reach a completion on this project, they're not going to say stop. Yeah. And, but it, what it does is, is give it, you know, you can then say to the client, that's how confident I am that you're going to really enjoy working with us in this way and that we can reach the result that we both want. That's one, one thing you could do, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, no, great. Thank you. I mean, you, you could go into the session itself, isn't it? Right. So, um, so how does this play into rebates? And and, and uh, we'll try and wrap up. We've got so many questions. Or it's ridiculous. Have we? So, um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm trying to piece them into you know a nice <laughs> nice easy flow for you. Um, how does it work with rebates? And, and, and I'm going to tie this in if it isn't going to convolute the scenario with with a pricing model that I've seen some of the forward thinking members of, of, of members only doing at the moment. And what they've done is they they switched what is a per basement 
and a one-off fee. It's a monthly mm -hmm. instalments. Mm -hmm. um, and what they're effectively doing is building a contract base by doing that, right? Oh, mm -hmm. that's how it looks, right? So uh, you were talking earlier about, you know, if you're looking to get investment in your business or make it more profitable, uh, whatever purposes that might be, that's that's one way of doing it. But also, and this is it taps into the question around um, rebates. How does a a retained process work on a rebate? And we all know what re, you know, if someone leaves after a thing and you got to pay X amount depending on how long. They, they've been working there, but in a retained business way, mm -hmm. how, do, how would that work? Um, I don't like offering rebates. Um, I would rather offer a replacement. And so the standard terms that I usually recommend to put in for search would, would be that, would be um, a replacement after a certain, for a certain period of time, you know, first six months, for example, three months or six months. Um, if they insisted on a rebate, then you could apply your normal, your re your normal rebate terms. There's no reason why, why not. And it just gets prorated out of what the 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 second or third phase of of payment. Yeah, I'd keep the retainer as non-reimbursable. Um, so either do it on the second two, or usually more often than not, in the kind of markets we operate, there is just one fee on completion uh, on commencement and the last on. So it would be the placement fee that you would offer the rebate on, rather than the retainer. Okay, um, I haven't read this question before asking it, so I don't know how fluid this is. Um, what are the pros and cons of hiring an in-house resourcer to support retained search versus outsourcing resourcing services? So, if you're building a new retained search service or retained search is a new service line for you. Um, the first few projects that you win and deliver, I would highly recommend the consultants deliver them themselves beginning to end, including the resourcing. Once though, once that pattern of project uh, uh, flow and the process for delivery has been followed and established, then you can either bring in an external resourcer and add them to do the front end, the research piece, or outsource it. Um, I've seen it done both. I mean, when I was at Armstrong Craven, um, we did out outsource some. We had outsourced consultants providing research services, um, and we had insourced researchers. Um, that was a that was a one eighty model. So you you were either you were either sales or, or or delivery sales or research, which is quite typical for a search firm. Uh, I've seen I've seen I've seen both work and I've seen both fail. So I guess I'm probably pretty useless on that answer, aren't I? Um, I think it's trial and error, and I think it's 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 who you specifically who you're using as well. You could get a really awesome. Some of the researchers you hire are really awesome, and some of some of the internal research you hire are crap. So I think it's- Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> uh, for anybody that is thinking that question, by the way, I do happen to know a really, really, really good um, research and resourcing go. um, uh, organization. So just give them a shout after as I point in their direction. But because it's really crucial, Louise, isn't it? Because as you said, you know, winning it's one thing, delivery is a completely different yeah. thing. And, and, and if you win it, and maybe you've had to spend it, you know, you've used all the tricks in the trade and to, and, you know, listen to what you said here, you've done it, you've won it, great. If you then don't deliver it, that's that, you know. You, it's you're like not you might as well have not bothered, you know. Yeah, quite. So you, and, and also, you might as well not bother, not just for that client, but probably mentally, if you haven't delivered, then you're going to yeah. think, well, that, you know, I knew it, I knew I was right the first point or <laughs> someone will come to you more importantly someone comes to you, your team member says i told you that wouldn't work yeah um, but it's nothing yeah, to exactly. do that it's about the delivery yeah. so I, th I think it's a really good question um actually and um, which is why i'd say deliver it yourself don't even think about outsourcing it to anybody um in the first few instances make sure that you, your delivery you can do it yourselves you can smash it out of the park and you've got a process that you know works that you can then use um to instruct and monitor and govern any ex outsourcing that you might do in terms of the, the fee percentage, um, Louise, and this is going to come down, I mean, there's a certain level, level of subjectivity, isn't there, with this, and what you're comfortable with, I think, is the expression that, that you mm. use. But mm. I could see a way that somebody would be in the market um, and they're, they're approaching my clients if I were a recruitment agency owner. Before I know it, I'm hearing stories that 
this person's reduced his fees or her fees to, you know, I don't know, 5%, something ridiculous that, you know, you wouldn't normally even consider ever. But they've done that in order to win the retained assignment. And look, I mean, it's a false prophecy. We all know that. But in terms of someone saying to you as a rebuff, as a challenge back and say, look, I've got this guy who's charging 5% on a retained business. You're trying to charge me 20. What's the deal with that? What, what, I mean, what's the obvious conjecture? What's the obvious throwback to that? I mean, it's just not sustainable. It's not sustainable, you know, consistently. Yeah, that's kind of good what luck. I feel like saying, okay, on you go, you know, you're going to just dig your own hole and bury yourself in it because you can't carry on delivering. You might get the odd assignment that's easy and it's straightforward and therefore that will cover the time and the effort that you put in. But when you start taking on hires or, or assignments that are trickier and, you know, problematic, then it's just not going to pay for itself. It's not going to, and therefore your delivery is going to suffer and you know, they're, they're going to be out of the running quite quickly. So I would say, don't worry about it. Let them have it. Let them have it at a lower percentage and move on to the next one. Then, and eventually they'll, you know, they'll come across a client that has been burned by, you know, paying fees to, it's like, it's like getting three quotes off a builder and going with the cheapest one. You know what I mean? You know, you know that there's going to be some kind of catch in it somewhere. So <laughs> they're not stupid. You know, if they, if they make that mistake, then they're going to end up knowing that you get what you pay for. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you, you, you think so. But, but I suppose in the current climate though, that's difficult, isn't it? In a normal point market and someone comes, you said, well, I'm, they're charging 5%. It's go, well, see you later. Well done. Yeah. But, you know, they won't be charging you 5% for very much longer because they won't exist. Right. So, but you have the confidence and the, and the sort of the, the tenacity to say that yeah, right now, I think, I think it's a bit difficult. Well, I think you could say it in a nicer way, couldn't you? You could say, um, we, we, we are looking to build sustainable partnerships, sustainable long-term partnerships with businesses operating on a fee level like that would mean that we wouldn't, the chances are we, we wouldn't be in business in a year's time and therefore you've built a relationship with us for nothing and that isn't yeah. sustainable. So we, we want a partnership that works, that works for you. You feel you're, you're getting a service that, you know, um, is, is well-priced and we, we are able to run a great business and provide that service to you. And on, on the, the, the basis of, um, you know, looking at the, the, this question, like my last one, I suppose really is a sort of based on, and the current climate and or it will transcend anyway but right now you know you, you, you most recruitment businesses obviously have suffered and they're looking at the, the quickest routes to earning earning cash is it possible to win a retained bit of business on one cold call and if so what kind of process would you have had to have gone i mean is it purely luck or is there you know a grounding that you must have you've gone through to, to, to achieve that um I mean, I wouldn't like to say no, you couldn't. Um, have I seen it done that you what can identify, have that conversation, do the needs analysis, pitch it, win it and close it on that call? I don't think I ever have in one call. No. I find that um, there is a process and having seen people and myself um, for years now pitching and and winning and losing <laughs> and knowing how you can lose them as much as how you can win them. Um, that the majority of assignments, retained assignments are won face to face. Um, and I'm, by that, I mean, zoom, you know, as much a video conference, as much as I do mean, um, you know, reality face to face, because a lot of the work that we're winning at the moment is overseas and we're not in front of them. Um, and the majority of it has been a, a needs analysis has been an identification of a challenge and the diagnosis that um that this is the right solution and the you know the the explanation of why um and that consultation piece has been done and that we've reinforced the credibility capability experience and evidence that we've needed to to be able to to close it um so I do think there's a, there's a process and the process that I kind of teach I'm finding consistently is winning one in three. If it's there to be, to be one, we're winning one in three. Obviously you don't win them all. Um, but not off cold calls on there and then usually no. 
Um, yeah, no, and I, I don't suppose people really thinking beyond that. You know, there must. I suppose you might get lucky. You could get lucky, couldn't you? You could, you could pick up somebody who is, I don't know, maybe they were a recruitment consultant themselves. They've got in house and they, they loved working that way. I don't know. Maybe you've got that, or or they, that that line manager or the hiring manager or the in house recruiters considered that's the way they want to work moving forward. Um, but you know, you can have a go. I mean, I wouldn't want to stop anyone from having a go. You know, you know, shoot. You know. It, what's the worst that can happen they say no and then you say well you know let let me let, let me come and see you or let's jump on a zoom and let me just walk you through and then you get a second shot at it but there's nothing that there's no harm in having a go but mindful of time i'm going to sort of wrap up with one question which i think probably you know um ties in quite nicely with this you've been um by your own admission in the industry long enough to <laughs> have gone through one i think probably two recessions right um yeah. previously if memory serves me correctly, because that's the length of time that I've been in it too. So, right, okay. Now with, uh, oh no, I don't look behind her. Um, <laughs> now, now you, um, how how do you see this model panning out over the next six to twelve months? And I suppose the question that that is being asked there is, um, is the time absolutely right for this? Um, is the the is the appetite there? And or are we, what I hope doesn't happen, building something that ultimately is just going to revert back to type? Because I've already started seeing things on LinkedIn, you know, people's posting the same old um, job posts that they were posting before, um, and you know, it's all becoming monotonous quite quickly. But I'm, I'm very mindful that we don't want as an industry just to go back to type. So where, where does exec search, retain business, project work, how do we want to dress it up, look in six or 12 months, you think? I I feel like there is there's a, the tide is 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 really turning. I mean, um, you know, I've been teaching contingent businesses retained for three years now, and um, we've had more people embark on our program in the last six weeks than in any other six weeks over those three years, and so. Firstly, I sense a huge desire from agency and owners, business leaders, um, and, and, and yeah, senior members of, of, of recruitment agencies wanting, seeing that there's a, there's, there's a possibility and that it's possible and we can, and we can make that change. Um, secondly, I am out in the field myself and um, clients, are fed up. I think clients are fed up. All the clients that I meet are not receiving the kind of service that they necessarily want. There might be pockets of it or somebody's done a really good job on that project or that one supplier does perform quite well with this type of assignment. But in general, um, it's, it's challenging for them to fulfill their, their recruitment needs in a time efficient, energy efficient and cost effective way. And the whole thing is painful for them. And so they are largely if it's positioned in the right way are actually quite really open when you start to explain there is a different way and there is there is another way of doing this let me you know let me show you let me talk you through it and let me show you on you know let me demonstrate it and we're winning we're winning assignments all over the place in every kind of walk of walk of life and 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 clients are happy to do it and more importantly not only are the consultants going oh my god this is dreamy i love like it's such a difference but the clients are going why, why have we never worked like this before? Why have, you know, this is great. Like, I've got another one for you. Can you do this one as well? You know? So yes, my answer to that is yes. I feel like it is, it is changing. Um, do I think we'll just revert to type? Um, I really hope not. I really, really hope not. And if, it, if I've got anything to do with it, then we won't. <laughs> I'll do my <laughs> best. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the same mission, Louise. The same mission, definitely. Um, well, look, it's, uh, it's been an hour. And so mindful that people are hopefully wanting to pick up the phone and start making some, oh, um, thank you. some calls around uh, retain business. Uh, I thought it was absolutely wonderful. Um, oh, thank you so much for, for, for your insights. Um, I'm pretty certain those questions could have gone on and on and on. Um, we're going to share your slides with participants afterwards, if that's okay with you. That's fine. No um, problem. I'll send them to you. And where can people find you? Where, where are you, Louise, if they want to get in touch? I am, thank you. I'm all over LinkedIn, um, as you know. Um, so reach out to me there. But the best way to get um, a half an hour slot with me, and I'm happy to just talk through your business and, you know, no obligation. 
for nothing um, is to book a call with me on my website. There's a big book a call button, book a call, put a time in our diary and I'd love to have a chat with you about your business and what you'd like to achieve. Great. Well, um, I'll be following this up to uh, with everybody anyway with an email um, post Lovely. event with, with, with the slides and, um, and I'll put your contact details and website on there anyway. So for everybody, um, that, that's going to come your way. Um, I always like to end the webinars on a really, really high and, and a positive and the Ooh. content that you delivered there was, was amazing. It's high enough. Um, but I, I need to let everybody know, we, we don't charge for these webinars. Um, we don't take any fee. We donate it all to charity. So we do ask for a donation. Um, and we've, we've raised nearly £400 um, from wow. this one Thank webinar. Thank you, everyone. That's alone, brilliant. You know? so, so that's for our last day of DJ, Save My Life Charity. So we're, we're building communities in Uganda, um, and it's a, it's a charity close to the heart of not just myself, but members only. Um, and our recruitment leader network. So to all of you guys, thank you so much for, for your donations. That's brilliant. That'll be winging its way across to them in the next few days. So um, with that um, positivity in mind and a brilliant, brilliant uh, presentation, Louise, thank you so much. Um, to those that are still here and those listening after this, mm. go and get yourself some retained business and do let, let me uh, and, and let Louise in particular know the successes around that. Um, you'd be delighted to hear about that, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Listen, uh, have a great day, rest of your, uh, rest of your week. And, uh, we'll thank you, Simon. Soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.